Hello and welcome to this episode of The Pod Presents Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTO Craft and Skillawale, and it was inspired by the question and answer site Stack Overflow, where questions have to have a single right answer, and questions can be closed and archived because they're considered primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer, and they are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we take one of those questions, we talk about a range of answers and the context that makes them appropriate. My name's Howell Carver. I'm the CEO of Skillawell. We do deep coaching for tech teams, which is individually personalized, hands-on sessions with a live expert delivered remotely in one-hour chunks. I've been a CTO for the last 10 years. I've led CTO dinners for three years before the pandemic, I've been a CTO coach, and I've seen the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time because context is critical. Today, we are gonna be having a discussion with a special focus on mental health. We're recording this and publishing this podcast during November, and we're keen to play our part in mental health awareness. Now, if you're listening to this and you're struggling with mental health at work and need help, we're going to include a link in the podcast description to a number of helplines you can contact. And we're also gonna shortly be releasing an article with some tips for leaders on what they can do to help improve the mental health of their teams. The topic we're going to talk about today is how do you look after the mental health of your team and still hit deadlines? And I am very excited to be joined by Omar Reid, who is the CTO of mental health startup Elena. Hey, Omar. Hello, how nice to be here. Happy to be here. It's good to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about Elena and what the company does? So currently we are making an app for people with social anxiety and maybe to give you a bit of background on like why we're sort of special is that you can think about apps in like two ways. One way is like headspace where you do meditations and you're just listening to stuff. And we realize that there's a hurdle that they're not willing to jump, which is understanding the user, which is quite important because if you have PTSD, for example, you shouldn't be meditating. So you can't just prescribe things to everyone. Context, like you're saying in your intro, is important we gather that context by understanding the human brain. And the way we do that is we develop these cognitive tasks, which are like games that people play. And each game measures something specific about the way someone's brain works or like a specific process that's happening in their brain. You play multiple of these. And now we have a profile of how your specific version of social anxiety operates in your brain. And that allows us to tailor the the treatment or the therapy specifically to you. And that's what we do. We essentially... To summarize, like three words is personalized therapy. Those two words. <laughs> Even better. Fifth, what? A third more efficient. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk today about um, looking after the mental health of teams. And I thought it would be good to start by talking about some of the common problems with mental health that can hit, especially technical teams. Mm. And the one that came to mind first for me was burnout, mm. um, which is the kind of the stress of workplace building up over time without being managed. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'll tell you a story. So growing up, it was always the case where you have to like push through things. Like the world is just hard Mm. for you. Like the world is going to be hard for you in your environment to get anywhere. So what you do is you just learn to push through. But that comes at a cost, right? And that cost is sometimes your physical health and your mental health. And in the space of careers, what I've seen from organizations is that 
when you really care about something or when you think what you're doing is really important, that drive sometimes causes you to forget that you are a human that needs to be taken care of. You need to rest. You need to spend time with your family. You need to go hang out with your friends. You need to take care of your physical health, go to the gym. So when I see burnout, I tend to see it in cases where like people focus on like one specific part of their humanness as opposed to a more holistic view of themselves. And that can come out of course, which can lead to other other things. Interesting. Yeah. So it's you're sort of talking about it as a need for the right balance, right, between all the different 100%. parts of, of life. And like, so I've definitely had feelings of burnout before when you feel exhausted. For me, it's been about distancing myself from my work, like really mm. dreading going to work, which is quite mm. unusual for me because generally I super enjoy work. But it's when you get on the other side of the burnout and you're like really experiencing it, it feels like s- such a, a feeling of dread to have to go and do that again. Yeah, those are things that you can look out for in your team, right? It's like reduced productivity, people who are really not not engaged because of that, those feelings of just constant exhaustion. Yeah, I guess one of the other conditions around mental health that we can be on the lookout for in teams is depression. I looked up a definition because it's not my place to define these things. A mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. Mm. Mm. And that loss of interest is the thing that I most strongly associate with depression. Yeah. I think these things can be set up by work. I'm not sure that work can be the kind of solution. Maybe it can, but one of the things I've always found difficult is cognitive dissonance, right? Sustained cognitive dissonance, having to like go along with one set of ideas in one place in work and then put forward another set of ideas in another place is something that I find very, very draining. And Mm. the times when I felt most burnt out by work has come from a sustained period of having to like manage two different opposing viewpoints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That resonates with me. (laughs) Had a couple experiences with that. It's hard. We were talking about this the other day, you and me, Omar, and I was saying that maybe the reason we get this so much in technology Mm -hmm. is because of the nature of the work and the nature of the requirements work in technology is often very difficult to estimate that's that's not Absolutely. a new observation i know but yeah. like, <laughs> lots of people in the world have seen this already yeah. and there's a lot of uncertainties about it mm. but we still have requirements from stakeholders we still might have deadlines yep. and the way that we manage those two things is through overwork if we hit the road bumps along the way we just compensate for it with more time yeah. because that's a, that's not a kind of one-off feature of our work. That is just the status quo that it's hard to predict and we have requirements and we have time requirements on us, which means it becomes frequent. So yeah, I've definitely had a few experiences where it was literally almost exactly what you're describing. And then we can relate it back to depression, how it mm. is similar to depression. Like if you think of like, it has a pipeline. There's people that come before us and they have ideas. And if they don't bake in constraints into their, into their requirements, then what's going to start to happen is like you're saying, the engineer is going to, and, and, and the engineer doesn't push back to point out that, I don't know, mm. a designer hasn't baked in the time constraints or the financial constraints or whatever constraints into their, their requirements or the, or the product designer hasn't. Then what is going to happen is that the engineer is going to take that work. And more often than not, engineers... I've noticed 
it's like a thing where, or in my case, I have been the person that's like, all right, bet. I know this is hard. I can do it. I accept the challenge. The challenge is accepted, right? And what you're actually doing is just making your life a lot harder because now you're going to have to spend more time, more energy. You're going to be way more tired at the end. You probably won't even complete the thing that you've been given. So what happens then? How does that affect a person? So you've been given a thing, thing to do. You spent a lot of time, time doing it. You may not complete it on time. Fair enough. You may be a little bit upset, but you're like, hey, I've I taken on this big thing. We can make this even worse by, by then saying, what if you take on all this work and then the outcome isn't the outcome that we wanted to get after you had built and shipped the thing? Then you will start to feel, real, feel like you put in all that work, but you didn't get the reward. And the reward is, I don't know, users using the product or some metric moving 5% or whatever, whatever it was supposed to, to achieve. And I think if people experience that like over and over again, you'll start to do a thing that, which happens in, in depression where you start to think anything you do, you won't get a reward for it. So why would I do it? And that's how I'd relate it back. So this idea about we have real constraints and it's about like the way I've started to think about protecting people from this is being like seeing the world as it is. And if other people don't see the world as it is and are not accepting constraints, but we see constraints, then we it's our job to make sure that people can see those constraints because not everyone has the same eyes and we should work as a, as a unit together to come up with a solution that's going to work for everybody. I think you're totally right. So it's, and I think this is a really important point is it's not about things being hard. It's not about challenges, right? Because actually people like challenges often. Mm-hmm. It's about the working hard to overcome the challenge. And then on the other side, not, as you said, not getting a reward and that reward, to be clear, I don't think you mean a financial reward, right? You mean like satisfaction or yeah. like that would be a reward, like, or like a single happy user or some positive feedback. All of those things can feel like yeah, rewards. Absolutely. I was talking to someone literally yesterday who has been missing their targets for a couple of months and was feeling really excited because in his words, he was like, it's going to be a challenging like couple of months till the end of the year, but I think we can do it. And was genuinely excited about like difficulty that he thought could be overcome. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really important point that like, we like that solving problems is great. Yeah. Not quite solving the problem, failing, missing the target, even though you worked really hard mm. can be demotivating. While you were talking, you reminded me of an experience where I had, I'd been working on a project that was drastically underestimated. Classic. Yeah. For, in a, yeah. In a way that was actually kind of frustrating because I had to question the estimates early on, but not, I hadn't stood up for my questioning very well. Mm. And so the original estimates were taken. And so I was working very long hours to try and get this project shipped yeah. on time. Yeah. Someone else in the same company was there working very long hours. And, you know, I would come in in the morning. Sometimes I'd be there first. Sometimes he would, I Mm. would leave late at night. Sometimes I'd be before him, sometimes after him. And then about a month later, it was announced that he was getting some kind of bonus or reward or like extra day off or something. It wasn't that he had worked harder. I don't think all that his project had been a success. I think his manager was maybe better at advocating 
for mm-hmm. him than than mine was. And that was so demotivating for me because again, like the lesson there, the unconscious lesson it can be, it doesn't have to be a conscious thing, but the unconscious lesson is you can try. And even if you try the same as someone else, like it's not a meritocratic system. I I might try as hard as him, but I'm not going to get the reward necessarily as a result of that. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. That comes back to our role as leaders, right? It's about mm. giving people motivation. It's it's about keeping people enthused and giving them that feedback. So even yeah. when you've worked really hard and the users don't like it, like mm-hmm. or the users don't use it, having the right leader who can say, that's not on you. The work you did was yeah. excellent. Like yeah. That's so valuable in that moment. Absolutely. Our title for this episode is about deadlines specifically. Mm. And I think one thing that fits into that is the idea that an estimate is not a deadline. Yeah. That your team can make estimates and you might have external stakeholders who require deadlines, but they don't need to be the same time period away. And that's something that we as leaders can do. That's that's a change we could start making tomorrow, right? That mm. when we get an estimate from our team, we're going to add 50%, maybe maybe 100% before we communicate that as a deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can say, like, there doesn't have to be any lying or manipulation involved here. I think we can happily say, okay, I'm going to communicate that to externally as a deadline of this date to our teams. And I think we can talk to other stakeholders and say, the team is estimating this. I suggest we use this as the deadline because it's a big piece of work. This makes total sense. I wouldn't want people to feel like they are being misleading. I think what what you'll actually do is accounting for uncertainty, accounting for unknown unknowns. And it's like, it only makes sense because this world is not linear. It's 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 a complex mm. system, and we just don't. You and of, oftentimes you don't know what you don't know. So it just this is this is a, a really good point. If anyone's not doing this, do what Howell said just now. <laughs> I feel like we should talk a bit about mental health more broadly because I think we want to protect our team's mm-hmm. mental health just because we care about the people in our team and mm. you know humanity makes us our humanity makes us care about people have you seen evidence of sort of good mental health support having commercial benefits so one thing i really love about working at lena is that most people are mostly intelligent or i don't know another word for that but it's a very safe workspace because there's no toxicity everyone's there being as supportive as they can be and of course everyone's still working and growing but i felt like this is probably one of the best workspaces I've been in and probably maybe the only one that has helped me grow as a person. So even just outside of just me being a CTO in my role, what about me, Omar, as a human being, when I'm outside interacting with my friends, family, and loved ones, like that's have a, had a dramatic impact on how I am. And it's been super beneficial, super positive in those realms. And I think that's the type mm. of impact that comes when if everyone's supporting each other's growth in their in their mental health journey, then usually people flourish as individuals and it will affect both their work life and their real life. Why does it have commercial success? Because you'll tend to have happier, more engaged employees. Mm. And that is the crux of what, what we what our company is. We are just a bunch of people working together to achieve a goal. So it's really hard to pinpoint when it's good. When it's bad, it's very easy to pinpoint. It's very easy to be like, 
you know, someone who has depression, they're not going to be as motivated. They're not going to be as engaged in their work. They may not do as good of a job. Mm. Fish bash bosh makes sense why things aren't flowing as, as smooth as, as possible. So you, to answer your question, I think it's easy to see the monetary impact if you just look at productivity of employees the mm. negative way, the way if someone has depression. I think it's not as dramatic for when things are going good, I, I don't think. But I think for the individual, it's amazing because it's not just things are going well at work, it's things are also going well in your life. And that can generate a nice feedback loop to continue this progress. And who knows if everybody continues on this path, how amazing that would be. You touched on a couple of things there. Mm. Like I know people who've had real like mental health difficulties, yeah. either themselves or people they're really close to. And the way that their employers have responded has been mm. such overwhelming support. The, the sort of loyalty that that has earned mm. is, is incredible. That yeah. people doing like boring, tedious jobs and like annoying circumstances, but they will stay because they've been treated so well yeah, by their absolutely. company in a really difficult time. And that absolutely. is, a, you know, as well as the human side, that is a kind of commercial benefit to, absolutely. Um, to care yeah. about these things. And yeah, like the, the UK government did a survey last year where 89% of people said that a lack of mental health support affected their working life. And nearly half of them had considered resigning because yeah. the job had impacted their mental health. In the UK economy, at least, the productivity hit from staff turnover, sickness, and just general lost productivity from bad mental health was about £42 billion pounds last year, which go. is... A lot. So without knowing what uh, what fraction of that 42 billion you can attribute to your company, it will be yeah. some of it. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there are benefits commercially to caring about this stuff. And this reminds me of something actually that we do in every single team meeting is that we do gratitude. And I, and I realize mm. actually how quite important that is. And that just gives you a more of a complete picture because I feel like it's so easy to just end up in like, oh, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, this is going wrong. And you miss those those things. Maybe we can end by talking about some general things that can be adopted across a company, policies that aren't really about process, but are about things on offer or the kind of culture of the company that we can put in place to help, like what you're talking about of ex making sure to express gratitude and encouraging mm. that within the company. Yeah, absolutely. We used to do this this thing like once once a week. We're trying to figure out when to put it back in and how we're going to schedule it. But it was this once a week session and someone would usually lead it and it was called team wellness. And it would be like, I don't know, an hour on a Thursday. And maybe someone would like read a poem or someone would teach us about like, I don't know, the nervous system and then give us like a meditation to help us under learn how to like calm up, regulate our nervous systems. Things like that to boost our general wellness. And I'll actually shout out Sophie. Sophie usually led all of them and they were like all amazing. She's our head of user research. And those were, were amazing to help people. One, give people tools. Like there were certain things I'd never done before, like art therapy. We ended up doing art therapy and that was really, really useful mm. for me in one of the sessions. So giving people the tools, but giving people the space and feeling comfortable to be like, take a step back for a second from like the work, you know, like during the week not just like 7 p.m. when you need to go home and cook dinner and feed your kids. Like, no, just, just before you leave to go to work, let's take a step back and set you up right for the evening and then the next day. So team wellness was, was really cool. 
we also are like big on broadening people's perspectives. So we have like a bunch of like books in the office. So it could be about blind sports or being anti-racist or just a, bu- a bunch of these different books that are laying around so that people can just take it up, read a couple pages, and then they learn something new. There's also a thing that actually I think is important. This came actually came up in my 360 feedback of I tell jokes a lot. It has a very interesting effect on people. Our mission is a, is a hard mission and building a startup actually is hard in general. So let's even take that out, out of the, the picture. When you have something that's hard, I think people switch to like a serious like mode and they're like, ah, mm. oh, I need to be super, super, super serious. And what that leads to is tension. And tension is interesting because you can use it to generate a release, right? And then my tool of choice is when I sense that tension, I will find a way to make a joke that releases that tension. And as a result, it ends up bringing people together because we Mm. realize we're having a shared physiological experience right now. Things are tense or something feels awkward. But once one person states that out loud, it becomes like, oh yeah, this is a thing. Oh, you felt that too? All right, cool. That's funny. Or you make the joke. And, you re- and everyone starts to respond in the same way. And I think mm-hmm. that is a, a useful point for, for leaders to remember is that as a leader, you're also there to unify. And that is one way of doing that. So to recap, when things feel too serious, it can become too rigid and people will feel less comfortable. Like you don't want to be in a tense, super serious environment all the time. I think that that point about environment is really important. I think it's one of the ones that hits me most. Um, Mm. I talk a lot about low trust and high trust Mm. company cultures. And I think that low trust company cultures are, they're certainly inherently bad for my mental health. Um, And by low trust, I mean places where it is difficult to be vulnerable or to fail or admit fault are like difficult in the sense that it would like, it could like mean that you don't get promoted or that you are seen as, as worse than other peers. hundred percent. Something really good about what you're saying about low trust and high trust. When there's a, a compelling narrative or when you are telling jokes and you do a callback or when you tell jokes and relieve tension, what happens actually is that releases oxytocin. Oxytocin Mm. is is a very interesting uh, chemical that gets created in your brain and into your body, which literally makes humans feel trust. So while just describing to you was essentially when I'm saying I'm making jokes, in all reality, I'm increasing the amount of trust. And that trust is what gives people that sense of unity. And when there is trust, when there's more oxytocin in someone's system, what happens is that they actually stop. So oxytocin inhibits or defensiveness, which means it prevents people from being defensive. So what happens is that people can feel like, literally feel physiologically like they can be vulnerable, right? Because we've done things to make you feel like you are in a trusted environment, which makes your brain produce some oxytocin which makes you feel like, oh, I can be vulnerable. This is a safe space. And we just keep that loop going, right? So if someone Mm. now becomes more vulnerable, now they're more themselves, it's easier to actually be in a group, actually, and work together as one. This is like super well in line uh, with what I was just talking about. 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. No, that's super interesting. I feel like company culture, at least for me, contributes a lot to my experience of work. So the one thing I can't stand is a lack of openness. So mm. I, I've seen companies that I would say are, are Kafka-esque, right, where it's so hard to know why anyone is doing anything. Information yeah. is kind of held away. And when you ask someone what is going to happen in the future, what, what their role is, what they're mm. going to do next week, they might give you an answer that is not accurate. They're telling you what they want you to know rather than what wow. the truth is. And that is just, to me, like having to, again, it's that cognitive kind of cognitive distance. Yeah. Yeah. It's just stressful to manage. Maybe I could get better at that with practice, but I don't want to. I, yeah. I have no, <laughs> no interest in like getting good at that skill that these people clearly have. Yeah. For me, it's a mental health brain. I think it is for lots of people too. Like sometimes, mm. The answer to good mental health is to examine your company culture and mm. part of our role as leaders is to try and shape that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I have a question for you. What tips or tools do you use at Skill Well, for example, or any organization you've worked in the past that help with this culture building or helping take care of people's mental mental health? So tip-wise, is I'm, I, I'm always very keen on building cultures that I would want to work in myself. I think it's easy to build a culture that you want to manage, but would never work in. Mm. And it's sometimes harder to build a culture that you would want to work in, but now have to manage. That's good. I, I would say that's been a large part of my kind of philosophy. I don't know if that's a tip though. Um, no, 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 I think that's a very valuable insight. It's not even a tip, there's insight. That's wisdom right there. <laughs> we have teams that do things like a check-in where they will just say without having to explain the reason why they will just say their current like mm. mental health status that's that's um, great which can be anonymous but it gives you a read it gives you a way of knowing over time when yeah. someone somewhere is experiencing difficulty yeah. in the team yep. or not we try and be very supportive when it comes to time off for mental mm. health. We'll actively encourage it. Same. Because we as a company at Skill Well believe strongly in finding people who are exactly who we want to work with and who we need in the team and are brilliant. Mm. And so we would much rather, you know, give someone extra time off to be able to be fully themselves and to be kind of all raring to go at work than have people who are struggling and just can't focus and yeah. need the time off and can't have it you know yeah. like you said there's work life and real life and mm. sometimes real life absolutely should take priority 100 mm. percent. i super appreciate you turning turning the questions on me that doesn't yeah. normally happen <laughs> on our podcast i really enjoy that though and i hope this has been a, a useful episode for people listening i hope it's given people to think about and i want to remind you that if you're going through any mental health problems of your own we're going to be putting some links in the the description so please do take a look at that. Omar, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.